Hello, hello. Here we go. Uh, we are in uh, Ephesians 1. I'm going to read Ephesians to you, chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. This is uh, Paul writing to many churches in the Ephesus area. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and, in, and his incomparable great power for us who believe, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. All right. Uh, the book of Ephesians is a book about a new family, a new humanity being formed in a place like Ephesus, a very worshipful city, making them into, crafting them into the people of God to fulfill God's purposes. And here we see Paul, one of Paul's powerful prayers for the church. We see two in Ephesians. Um, and today we see this prayer that he has for this church, and his prayer is for them simply, really in a nutshell, is for their eyes to be opened to do something deeper than all the theological words that he can say, to truly see them transformed, for them to know Christ in a deeper way. Um, And so they already know Christ. He's already thanking them, very, very beginning. He says, I've heard about your faith. He's like, you are crushing it as a church. Like, you're, you're amazing. You are crushing it, church but I still want to pray for you to know more. Like, we use prayer often as crisis management, which, of course, we should pray in crisis, but often we use prayer as a form of crisis management. Oh, someone's in, like, if you were in a small group and someone was like, you, you, you pray for someone in crisis. If someone was like, you know what, I'm just experiencing God in a new, fresh way. My eyes have been opened. I've been, he's been saying things to me. I've been seeing things in the world like no other. If we're like, can we just stop and pray for you? right now? Like, that's kind of what Paul is doing. This church, he's saying that you have faith, but I pray that you would know him more. Um, My words as a preacher are very limited. Like, what I'm doing right now is a very limited thing. Like, I, I can't make you love God. There's nothing I could say. Like, I could, I could communicate in a perfectly eloquent way. I could conjure up something beautiful in your imagination. I could tell a moving story, but I can't make you want to get in touch with the union of God like no other, right? Like, there's nothing I can do or say. Paul is, is saying something similar. Like, my words have a limitation, but the good news is God knows how to speak to you. God knows how to speak to your gut. God knows how to speak to your heart. God knows how to touch your soul in a way that's unique. So today, I kind of want to talk about just this greater 
experience with God. You could think about it this way is, what does it look like to lose your religion and gain faith? What does it look like to lose your religion and gain faith? I think that's what Paul is getting at. There's a beautiful illustration of this in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was a child. It says that his family as Jews went to the temple to worship. As, it says, as was custom to do. So they went to church as customed year after year. They went to the festival of Passover as was the custom. But this year they lost Jesus and then they later found him. Religion oftentimes gets in the way of faith, causes us to lose Jesus. We practice religion, but we fail to, what I want to talk about is participate as co-shares in the divine life with God. That we are meant to be shares of the divine life. This, this mystical life is the best way I can know how to describe it. This, this mystical union that we experience, um, the sense of knowing that God is in us and we are in God. Paul says that your eyes would be enlightened, that you would know, may know him better, give you the spirit of God would be in you, the revelation of God would be in you. But we often mistake faith with religion expression. We, we make it a spectator sport instead of an enlightened awakening. Some examples are an, attending a church is a religious expression, but choosing to embody the teachings of Jesus is co-participation with Jesus. Singing a song, a worship song, is practicing religion, but living with a song in your heart is being that co-share in the divine life. Um, listen, uh, we live in a culture that is suspicious of religion, yet it's even hostile at best, or maybe just ignorant, of this idea of particip- that we are participants in divine life with God. Part of the problem is the overabundance of religious people who are not faithfully participating in the divine life with God. Religious people who have no deeper center. This becomes problematic. Religious people are dangerous people. Churchy people are dangerous people. Religious people own slaves. Religious people lynch people. Religious people exclude others. But when your life is rooted in the divine life with God, when you are a co-share in the divinity of God, which I know sounds crazy, but I'm going to get into that, that you, something else is happening, this participation. You draw a line in the sand and say, there is a refusal to harm anyone made in the image of God. And when faith is rooted in political parties, we, I hate to tell you, some think that that's the way we live, but Jesus isn't Democrat nor Republican. Jesus has always been independent. <laughs> He's always been independent since he came into this world. Sometimes you have to lose your religion to regain your faith. Sometimes you have to leave religion to regain your faith. Because some know how to stand or say churchy words or say theological words or say the word gospel or say something religious a lot, and have no union or like understanding of what it means to experience like this, this sense of wonder, right? This sense of divine life of God. So I want to ask you this morning, um, and I've asked this once before, but do you want to live an obligated life, or do you want to live a fascinated life? I think about this often. 
Do you want to live a life that feels obligated? Right now, which one of those describes you? Do you feel like you are living a life that's obligated? Or do you feel like you're living a life that is filled with fascination? With fascination. Which one are you? And what do you do when the wells of that wonder and delight run dry? What do you do when that, like, does anybody else, like, post-COVID just feel like their beauty side is just dulled to sleep? Like, you're, like, just feel like no more wonder in the world, no more sense of fascination. I mean, we, we must, God wants us to, to be restored to this. And fascin- a fascinated life makes for the best songs, the best movies, the best sermons, the best art. An obligated life doesn't make for much. So what do we do? We must pay attention. We must do like Paul said here, in verse 17, I keep asking that you would get like wisdom and revelation, that you would know him better. Next slide. He says that in verse um, 17 and 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, your heart has eyes. <laughs> he says, your, your heart has eyes, and I want them to be opened. I don't want them to be shut. I want their eyes to be fixated on the, your, your heart to, to have eyes opened, that they would be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which you've been called. So he's, saying, I, he's, he's, he's just, Paul himself, he's saying, he, I don't want you to look at me as a model, he says. I want you to experience God. I don't want you to like know God through proxy. And that's the problem with a lot of people why they leave the faith is they're, once their proxy is gone of how they knew God, they are no longer, their world is shattered. Once their proxy, their grandmother passes or their proxy was a preacher that has been canceled in culture or a moral failure, once that proxy is no longer there, their life is destroyed because they never had this experience, and uh, the subjective experience with God, the sense of knowing God that Paul's getting at. And Paul himself, Paul prays this for himself in Philippians 3. He's writing the Bible. So I think you know God, Paul. And he says, I pray that I would know, one thing I ask, that I may know the riches of God, that I would, I would know him better. Um, Abraham Heschel, a Jewish writer, says this, Dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me, amaze me, awe me in every crevice of your universe. Delight me to see how your Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the feature of people's faces. Each day enrapture me with your marvelous things without number. I do not ask to see the reason for it all. I ask only to share the wonder of it all. It's beautiful. And what has happened is religion focuses not just that. He says, I ask not to see the reason for it all. What has happened in the world and what what um is is religion focuses on you know this word salvation and says it's out there, you need to grab it, you need to get it, you need to obtain it, you need to understand with that truth out there, reason with it, and intellectually agree with it. And if you do those things, you're saved. If you, if you see this truth out there, you intellectually adhere to it, you protect it from all the people trying to harm it, then you're saved. And then then you come to church and you have a preacher that's always telling you, well, not yet. You still just haven't gotten yet. So you're addicted to this cycle 
of guilt and shame, wondering, do I have it? Will I be there? And so then religion's turned into a spectator sport, which if I watch the right services, I listen to the right preaching, then I'll get this salvation out there. Salvation in Scripture is always used. Past tense, present tense, future tense. It's a, it's a much bigger thing. I mean, Jesus, I mean, goodness, look at the people he touched. He didn't have a checkbox and say, did you have the right faith before I give you healing? Are you the right orientation before I give you a, a miracle? Like Jesus didn't do any of this. Jesus came and said, salvation is offered to you as humans. He went to the lowliest of lows and went there and began to do salvation, practice salvation, let people experience salvation. Um, there's an author that I like that's a very obscure kind of author. His name's uh, Owen Barfield. Owen Barfield, um, I got into him because uh, C.S. Lewis gave a promise to write, answer every bit of letters ever written to him. Um, but when you re- he has two volumes of letters written to people, but most of them are to his friends, and one of those friends is Owen Barfield. They believe Owen Barfield was kind of like a lot of the beauty, beautiful uh, resource that Lewis drew on and Tolkien, the Inklings, drew upon. And Owen Barfield writes that um, back in the 400 to 500 B.C. period, right, that he believes that, in, and this is in Scripture, that the incarnation began with the Big Bang. I'm just hang in there with me for a moment. Let me just explain this for a minute which is affirmed in Scripture. It says, Romans 1, that all of, cre- all of the people knew God because they saw the beauty of creation, therefore they knew God's mystery. Uh, Colossians 1 says, Christ was in creation when creation was spoke. So that God's presence became incarnated at the Big Bang. And so he talks about the Stone Age people, right? These, the people that, that we would call barbarians. If you think about this, think about all the families, all the children, all the people that were born that were born during that Stone Age time. What do we think of them as Christians? Do we think, oh, they were just wasted people. They didn't know Jesus yet, so they're just like wasted. No, like Barfield says, they, they experienced the incarnation of Christ through creation, through dance, through beauty, through sexuality, through union, through covenants, through community. They experienced the salvation of God through the incarnation of God through creation. So they weren't wasted, but it's just senseless if you think about it. A God that just wasted hundreds of years of people. Oh, you're wasted. You're useless. You don't know Jesus. Like, it couldn't be. God couldn't have done that, I don't think. Um, you know, they had to wait till those Protestants came along to make sure we got everything right. And then, you know, now that we have everything right, they could finally know God. So he calls this season, this period, the original participation. That they had the sense of everyone belongs, everything belongs, that we, what I'm getting at is participating in the divine life of God. That they, before Christ, before even religion came on culturally, the before different societies developed religions, organized religions, that they experienced this divine participation in the mystery. Then, after that 500 BC period, to the birth of Christ, he calls the axial period, where the merging of religions emerged, that there was a higher level of consciousness that you could write about and reflect on the mystery. You see, you follow me? So then there was a period where we could actually have a higher level of consciousness and reflect as human beings on the mystery experience of the participation in the divine life. That's why we got Aristotle and Socrates and Christian writings and all of that. 
And then Jesus comes along and he says that is when the full and final participation happens. The sense of where the kingdom of heaven is among you. This was already true, able to participate it and enjoy it. Christ was the, the perfect human, right? He was the, the perfect fullness of humanity. And so here is a sense where this has become a, a minor theme in Christianity. A lot of times we talk about justification by faith or, or, or salvation, but we fail to talk about this truth in Scripture. The people who get it right are kind of like, um, on paper at least, are the Eastern Orthodox Church. I mean, they're, I don't know the way they practice it might not always be right, but on paper, they don't believe you should teach on the resurrection and try to explain the five reasons why the resurrection is real. They just say, proclaim the mystery of the resurrection, and that's it. You don't teach it. You just proclaim the mystery. There's something missing often in our intellectual world, our rationalized world, where we miss this mystic, being a mystic fool, if you will, just the sense of experiencing faith. And the moment you've had just one of these experiences, you're now a mystic. <laughs> you have it in you. There's this sense of, of, of foundation to the mystical life. Now Barfield, what he called the last 500 years, is what he called the desert of non-participation. All right? You guys tracking with me? So basically, it doesn't mean the last 500 years was lost, no one could ever be connected or be a, a union with God. He's just saying that we've, we've, we've built a world of division where we get into conflict and we analyze who's right, who's wrong. And when you begin to focus on who's right, who's wrong, you can no longer be in that flow of the divine life. You can't go deeper level because you are, your thinking is split and adversarial. And once you're adversarial, there's violence. It's this kind of thinking of right and wrong that creates sexism and racism. We have, we, we, he says we've lived in this desert of non-participation. This, this, this sense of us and them, right and wrong, right? And so... If we don't get beyond this, our life will never, ever get to what Paul is getting at. That we are shares in the divine life. Shares in the divine life. That we have the divine in us. And that might sound crazy to some of you, but I think back in the 80s and 90s, teaching about unconditional love sounded crazy. I think now we should keep, keep teaching stuff that sounds a little crazy. Like, you are, the divine life is, is you, in you. Catherine, um, one of the mystics, Catherine of Genoa, uh, would run around the, all of Genoa and yell, the deepest me is God, the deepest me is God, the deepest me is God. That the deepest part of you, the deepest consciousness of you that feels this sense of space where heaven and earth meet, that God is there, he's with you, it is real, it is an experience that you can't, that you can only, it's a rumor of God. You only hear about it in other people until you experience it. And we think of God as, we pray that, God, that, that, heaven would go, that heaven would come to earth. God is looking for people to share heaven with. He's looking for people to share heaven with. This is our message. But if you just focus on salvation the other way, that's just like an evacuation plan. An evacuation plan for us. Okay, when we die, we have something. We have something. We can still be racist up until the last 10 minutes of our life. But we have this thing, right? I can be militaristic, and that's why Christianity hasn't changed the world. That's why Christians haven't done much in society, because we're still greedy, 
We're still militaristic. We're still us against them. We still teach in ways that's focused on protecting our tribe. And it's not our fault. We got it, inherited it. But we have to figure out that we can't just give people commandments that they can't obey. Um, Christianity comes along, and even though we've mostly been excluders, we've mostly been the one doing the excluding, we see Paul comes along and tells us we have to have new eyes, new pairs of glasses. Your heart has to have an opened eye. And enlighten, if you, you know an enlightened person when you meet them. Right? Like you know someone who's had their eyes opened when you meet them. The, the sense of compassion that comes from them, the, the oozing of, of love, the, the sense of warmth, the, the connectiveness that they feel to humanity. You look them in the eyes and they look at you and you just feel we're connected, right? You know what I mean? Like there's that person that's present. And then until you know that, until the Holy Spirit gives you a new kind of glasses, that kind of spirit, you can't forgive. You can't be compassionate. You only focus on perfectionism, earning, calculating faith. But God comes along and says, you can't earn it. You can't calculate it. You must lean in. So, Next, pass, next verse, um, back to verse 19 real quick. I want to sit on this before we, before we close. And then he says, and then the hope to which you've called you, so there's a hope, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in his holy people. I just want to pause there. Um, just want to point this out. You, you, you're, we've talked about us having an inheritance last week. This week, Paul says that you are God's inheritance. Have you ever tried to give somebody a gift that they already had everything? <laughs> You're like, what do I get this person? They have everything. I don't know what to get them. Like, try giving a gift to God. Like, what are, like, what are you going to give him? God says, my greatest gift is you. Like, you are my inheritance. Isn't that crazy? Like, you secure God's future. You are God's gift. You are his inheritance of his holy people, a beautiful gift that he wants. So good. And then he talks about God's power and his incomparable great power for us who believe. We often have a bad connotation of power. He describes what the power is. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that kind of power. The power that can make dead things come to life, that kind of power he's given you through his Holy Spirit. So when we have the Holy Spirit, um, we have a welcoming, transforming friendship. We have capabilities and powers that are not your own. We have creativity that is, isn't your own. We have conviction. We have someone to help us discern rightly. We have a bent and drive of pushing towards reconciliation. We, have a, we, we welcome change. A, a being that hovers over our chaos and brings order to our peace. We, have, we are welcoming a lot of gentleness and respect when we welcome the Holy Spirit. And that's respect for yourself and gentleness for yourself. And so this morning, I just want to pray that, that we would be positioned um, to respond to this, that we would be positioned to say, God, I want to know you more. I want to... Have, participate in this divine union. I want to have eyes to see. I want to be people that are consciously awake, participating in the divine life, seeing that the deepest me is God. The deepest me is God. That's a beautiful thing. 
So my prayer for us this morning is that in a world of cynicism, we would be co-participants with joy and wonder. In a world of, of filled with virtue signaling, we would be people who are ready to get in the game of faith. In a world of pride and arrogance and intellectualism, we'd be humble and teachable. In a world where no one's listening, we'd be having eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that we would not limit God as a community. We would not limit God on us and on you. And that we would believe like Paul that he has given us the power to raise us from the dead, seat seat us with him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Next slide. In the last verse, which really just love the way he closes, that we would be the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Everything in every way. That we would see his, his spirit everywhere. Amen? Let's pray. just take a couple of minutes of silence and ask God, what did you want me to hear this morning? If you can't hear anything, just ask him to speak. Speak over you. Speak that your eyes of your heart would be opened. What had your name on it this morning? Is there an area of, is there someone in your life that you've overlooked? An area of your life you've been overlooking? Is there a part of your life that you're defensive with God? You don't want God in. That you're not ready to receive God. You're, you're like, I, I want you here, but not here. Are you... I don't know, I just get this sense of like being, being done with ignoring your needs, your, the, ignoring yourself. Would you stop ignoring yourself, your needs, your spiritual life? That you would lose your religion and find faith again. Um, that God would, a uh, sense of like restoring what the locusts have eaten. Yeah, I just get the sense that that's for somebody here, that God wants to restore what the locusts have eaten, that you feel like you've been robbed or there's been this loss, loss of friends. That God would restore what the locusts have eaten. Loss of joy. Loss of peace.
God, would you just restore to us that, restore to that to our, our life. Um, we just want to pray for you. Um, if that just resonates with you, like, um, I just invite you to be brave and bold. You don't have to hide in church. We do want to just ask the community, I don't want to like trick you in raising your hand and something, doing something, but I do just want to ask the community to pray for those that feel like that resonates with them, that they just want God to restore what the locusts have eaten. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so we can put a hand on you and just pray for you? Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Don't be scared. God's obviously doing much more on this side of the room than this side, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, we can be jokey. It's okay. Um, just keep your hand raised. Can, can I just, if you're comfortable keeping your hand raised, can everybody else just be the ministry team for a moment and just put a hand on the, that person's shoulder, if that's okay, if you're comfortable with that. If you're not, just put your hand down. But can you just open your eyes and move to those that have their hand raised and put a hand on their shoulder. If you have your hand raised, look around you. God, we take these, your children, your beautiful ones right now, Lord. We pray that you would restore to them the joy of your salvation. Um, God, the, we, we, we recognize the loss, the loss of normalcy, the loss of friends, the loss of jobs, the loss of, of our, feeling like our, our own mental health is normal and sane and a sense of, of loss there, a sense of... Um, loss of loved ones, loss of romance, loss of, of, of home. God, we sit with them right now in their pain. We do ask that you would restore to them your faith, restore to them your joy, restore to them your peace, restore to them your love. God, give them the spirit of enlightenment. Give them the spirit of eyes open to see their divine life in you, that they are with you. You are one with them. You are with them. We see Christ in them right now through their struggle. God, restore dreams in their heart. Restore a peace and a future for them. God, we ask that you would lift them up. Lift, be the lifter of their heads this morning. Be the lifter of their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.